Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 186 of Dogcast Radio, which is a special all about wolves, with trainer, behaviourist, writer, broadcaster and wolf expert Maxwell Muir. You can find this, as well as all of our other shows and lots more resources, at our website, www.dogcastradio.com. And now we have a treat. An in-depth, wide-ranging interview with a man who knows all about wolves. I'm talking to Maxwell Muir. Hi, Max. How are you? Hello, Julie. I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Good. Well, welcome back. Thank you for coming back. Um, so we're going to talk today about a subject that I think fascinates a lot of dog owners and dog lovers, and we're going to talk about wolves. So where did it start with wolves for you? What is it about wolves that fascinates you? When I think of wolves, I am thinking as far back as I can remember, I've always been fascinated by wolves as a very, very, very young boy. And uh, my father had one book in the house, one book only, uh, on wolves. And I was always a right bookworm uh, as a kid. Mm. I loved nature. I loved uh, reading about my own country. But I loved this vision of massive landscapes that are filled with all the wildlife that belonged in them and flowing rivers, thick forests, all of these things. And the one book he had in the house was a book called Never Cry Wolf. Hmm. And that was written by a man called Farley Mowat, who died oh, two, three years ago now, maybe. And whenever I was going on holidays, I never ever read the book for many, many years. I just used to look at the cover, just mesmerized with the picture of the wolves. And in those days, there's no Sky Television. There were no documentaries like you get in National Geo Channel today and stuff like that. Yeah. So my imagination was my was my tool um, for, for conjuring up thoughts of wolves. So when I was going up holidays up north to... Avi Moore, Rothy Marcus, around the highlands, and from the car, I would gaze way into the distance, and I would imagine what it was like seven, eight hundred years ago, mm. when tales of old kingdoms and kings out on wolf hunts and across the country, and I would imagine wolves occupying Scotland and uh, the various places that they did. I had a great sense of adventure in my young life, and wolves were very much part of that adventure. I never thought that they would become part of my life, but they were certainly very much part of my early thoughts and upbringing, and they were a world that I could retreat to that was just mine, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're sort of a reflection in some ways of our dogs. We see enough of our our dogs in wolves to kind of make them make us affectionate in some ways now, you know, make us feel affectionate for them. But they're, they're still, you know, completely wild and exotic and, and you can see that sort of fascination about them. I mean, having said that, we have looked to wolves for more insights into our dogs. So what do wolves show us about dogs? And I know this is a huge and, and controversial and much debated area, but, you know, what do wolves show us about, about our dogs? It's a fabulous question. I think part of our love affair with dogs 
over the years has stemmed from her fascination of wolves. Mm. Or it's very much part of that. There's a a proverb that goes back and says, um, when you look into the eyes of a wolf, you see something of yourself. Mm. And I don't think you really get that with captive wolves. You may a little bit, but for those people who are fortunate enough to see a wolf in the wild, that's certainly a very pertinent thing, uh, looking into a wolf when it's just you and the wolf uh, or wolves. It's a magical moment. It's a very touching moment. Different people will have lots of different thoughts racing through their mind when something like that happens. They're they're very elusive animals. They are probably one of the most elusive animals on earth. And they, by and large, if a wolf gets wind of you, you will never see it. Mm. They have a sense of smell akin to dogs, which is very, extremely powerful, that's adjusted and adapted to the wild. It's habituated so that they can live in that environment. And But some are young and bold. Uh, some will come and check you out. But, but mm. those are few. It, it, it depends where you are in the world with wolves. And we can talk about that later on. Yeah, yeah. But in some areas where they've learned to fear man, they will run a mile. But in other areas where that, that's not been possible, you'll see documentaries with, say, Mr. Buchanan and Dave Meech where they've actually just lived and eaten alongside wolves, you know, and quite a relaxed. There are very few places on earth now that you can do that. In fact, there's only one. But that relationship with wolves is a very magical one. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately for the wolf, the difference between a wolf and a domestic dog's uh, there are many differences, but I think the main ones are dogs are trainable. Wolves will only be trained if they want to be. Mm. If they don't want to be, you've got no chance. <laughs> they can be social, so they can be habituated to humans. Mm. They can be, they can interact with you. They can socialize with you. But dogs are dogs, and wolves are wolves, and um, they are pretty much as far from each other as east is from west. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that may shock a lot of people, but they are canines. We do share very similar chromosomes and the, the, the DNA makeup and what have you, but the, the wolves behave very differently from dogs. They are true pack animals, but they're also family-orientated animals, and they're not always fighting to be top dog. And so a lot of there's been a lot of mistakes in dog training where wolf behavior has been translated to what the dog is doing, mm. particularly in areas where it's caused conflict with the owner. And so in our abundance of intelligence, we have decided to adopt methods that make sure we are the alpha or that we are the top dog yeah. and are Poor dogs have been subjected to that in so many ways, but in reality, Julie, that's really pretty far from the truth. Wolves are close-knit family units. They consist of a mating pair, 
and they consist of um, uh, brothers and sisters. They look out for each other. They they look after their children, so to speak. They look after their, their, their young pups and cubs. They feed them. They go out in the hunt. They cooperate. They're very much a team. They, they, they work very much as a family unit, and they want to preserve their own line. So they're very independent. They really have no need of humans at all. Dogs... As far as wolves are concerned, what they may share in common is being up to around two years old, hmm. where the wolves mature, but dogs retain this juvenile characteristics their whole lives, and they don't seem to grow in the way that a wolf grows. When, when, when you look at the size and weight of a wolf in a dog's brain, even if they're roughly the same size, the wolf's brain is much, much bigger. It's much larger. It's been wired in different ways. And the, 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 the way their intelligence works is wolves are excellent escape artists. It's, you have to be very, very good to contain a wolf. You, you can have a dog contained, say, in the yard, and you lock the latch. The dog can watch you do that a thousand times. It will never work it out. You go away, the dog's safe. A wolf just needs to see you do that once. And you'll go back and it won't be there. <laughs> so so they, they, are, they are very smart and they, they, they can use themselves. They can use that intelligence, which is all driven towards survival and securing their lines. Yeah, I suppose the thing is we've we've taken those needs, we've eliminated those needs for a dog because you know we we said we will look after you, you know we'll make those decisions for you 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 know we 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 don't allow our dogs in the main we don't allow them to decide about um breeding or you know sort of looking after their own families sorting anything out for themselves we'll feed you we'll train you we'll tell you what to do you know and so they've gained a lot in terms of security in you know again arguably but we've we've bred that out of them haven't we the need for it is gone but that's fascinating that the wolf brain is, is so much larger and, and, and different because, again, they they have to live, they have to face life in a completely different way, don't they? Com- completely different. They're, they're, we often compare their intelligence, but, but their intelligence is designed for the environment that they live in. Mm. Wolves wouldn't cope well in our environment or with us close by it causes conflict but but dogs wouldn't by and large that we may like to think they would but a lot of them wouldn't survive in the wild mm. they, they can survive through scavenging that's what they are but they would predominantly most feral dogs street dogs stray dogs live generally close to human settlements whereas wolves like to be as far away as possible yeah, yeah. and they, they are very independent that way and it's it's a long way off from the life of a domestic dog a a long way off what is interesting though is that they can mate and wolves can mate with dogs they can mate with coyotes that they are but they also kill dogs and kill coyotes so so they're really self-reliant and very independent yeah and of course, that um, while you were talking about them being so different, you know, and and, and there was, we do have this kind of many many dog 
owners, dog lovers, have this fascination with wolves. But that can lead to, lead to bad decisions, can't it? Because, you know, when we start crossing, deliberately crossing wolves and dogs and, and thinking that the the offspring can live as a dog in our houses, then that comes to huge, causes huge problems, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's it, it does something to a human to... to think that there's a bit of wolf in their dog. Mm, mm. There, there are a lot of dogs that are bred to look like wolves, mm. but they're nothing more than dogs. Yeah. But there are some, for instance, the Sarlu. Now, you have to be a very experienced handler to to keep Sarlus. And uh, even then, they're extremely challenging. They're, they're very hard work. Mm. And if, if, if you have very close generation wolves uh, in your dog, uh, wolf DNA in your dog. It's it's a very, very difficult animal to keep. And uh, I think a lot of people get a shock. A lot of wolf dogs that are either, either across the world or put to sleep yes. or taken into rescues at around two years old, you know, 18 months, two years old, when they start to mature, and there's something along the lines there because, uh, uh, like I said before, dogs retain that juvenile yeah, that yeah. status, but wolves grow. And uh, uh, when you have a wolf or a lot of wolf that's within a dog, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when that's paired, that, that that not only can it be challenging, it, it can be quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I would say that a wolf crossed with a dog a wolf dog is far more dangerous than a wolf a pure wolf mm. uh, without a doubt because it's living among us yes yeah it's probably much more highly stressed mm-hmm. and it'll start to ma- manipulate its environment the, the the dog in it will help it to do that yeah but a pure wolf would w- w- just be dying to be away in a world of its own you know yeah, um, yeah. Where, where wolves live <laughs> yes yeah and it must you know we talk when we when sort of when the various crossbreeds come up and and strangely enough um and i don't mean to offend anyone with this but a lot of the poodle crosses apparently can have this sort of dual mindset that does just does not work in its favor at all and leaves it quite uh, confused in some ways and you can you can just only feel pity for the the struggle going on in the mind of a, a wolf dog because you know as you say if they're very very opposed mindsets it, it mustn't know where it is because you've got that dog as you was again as you were saying that with the wolf being very independent and having that problem solving ability and I, our dogs uh, I mean personally our dogs have, have always sort of one of the things that I find really endearing is if they lose a toy under the, the um, some furniture, you know, and they'll try and get it out. And then very quickly, they sort of look at us with an appealing look like, could you do this, please? You know, so if you've got that dual mindset of, oh, can you help me? But I need to do this myself. It must be just awful for them. Yeah, absolutely. But the, 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 the wolves, uh, even compared to normal uh, domestic dogs, are they take a lot more than your sort of routine two one-hour walks a day or two-hour walks a day. They're very demanding, and they do not cope well. 
it's okay saying and rich and rich and more stimulation, mm. but but they they really need to get out there and they, they they can have very very strong hunting instincts, and when we're talking about hunting instincts, you're talking about the full repertoire. Mm. You know, it's not just the chase, it's not just the scenting, it's not the stalking. They can generally go through the whole thing and. That's why it can be dangerous as well. Mm -hmm. But you also get some fun type wolf dogs who may see other smaller dogs as prey. Mm -hmm. they, you know, there were some dogs are they're strongly stimulated by movement, yeah, and yeah. when they get a whiff in the environment, especially though to the inexperienced hand, mm -hmm. they, they can find that they've bitten off more than they can chew. Yeah. Yeah. For 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 me personally, although I've worked with some wolf dogs, but I've been to America and I've seen some really direct uh, lineage mm. with wolf dogs. Not so much that you see over here, mm. and in those cases, I would much prefer if a wolf stayed a wolf. Yes. Yeah. And a dog stayed a dog, without a doubt. I don't think there's a need. To, to do any of that. Uh, one of the more dangers that people are talking about in some parts of Canada are the coy wolves, hmm. where wolves have bred with coyotes, and that th that can also cause a little danger uh, if that's in some areas, but because the, 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 the thing that keeps us safe from the wolves really are that the wolves are frightened of us. They hmm. have the strong flight mechanism. But when they're mixed and they have that boldness with, with, with other things, uh, like anything else, you know, it can make things a little dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you were saying about sort of that kind of dog, particularly in inexperienced hands, I would imagine the more experienced you are and the more you know about sort of dogs and, and wolves, the less likely you would be to say, mm, I quite fancy a wolf dog because, you know, it's only if you don't understand the nature of the beast you're taking on that you'd think, yeah, I can, I can live with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, <laughs> I know you, you sort of, you, you strive to raise awareness and understanding of wolves and, um, and I, I've been looking online about you and wolves and um, came across a lot of, uh, 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 articles and things about wolf awareness edinburgh 2015 so t tell me about that max what was that that started off as an idea maybe oh three or four years before that hmm. i've always taken quite an interest in the the debate about repopulating the the, the north of scotland with wolves um some people call it rewilding i prefer the term rewolfing hmm. But my wife showed me something uh, one day, and it was an ad that came up, and it was the the International Wolf Symposium that was held in Minnesota. Hmm. And all my favorite wolf people were speaking at this event. People who had read their books and watched their videos for years, people like... Dave Meach, Luigi Boitani, Carter Niemeyer, lots of different people, Ray Coppinger even. And I thought, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go to this. And so I got booked up. I thought I'll spend some time in Minnesota before because it's got a population of two and a half thousand wolves. I thought I've got to take some time up there and get up into the high country and 
let's see what it's like. And I'll spend some time after the symposium as well. So, so I had myself a little wolf trip. Mm. And the, the debate over here about wolves has always been quite a serious one. You, you have those people who wish to rewild the north and then you have the opposition from the farmers and the, the, the farmers' unions and uh, such like that. And then you have the people who fear wolves. Mm. And it's, it's always just come down to arguments and debates. So I went over to this symposium. I spent a week up in Ely doing some amateur tracking with wolves in, in the, the Boundary Lake Wilderness area around there. Fascinating stuff. It's also where I came across my first wild wolf. Mm. I spent some time at the International Wolf Centre with Laurie Schmidt, very helpful woman there. She looked after the wolves and I met the wolves there. And then I went down to the symposium and had three days of really absorbing stuff and like I say, I got to meet my uh, wolf idols, as it were. Mm. And I thought, wouldn't it be great just to up this debate in Scotland a little bit? It's a long shot, but wouldn't it be great if I could put something similar on over in Edinburgh? Yeah. yeah. So I thought, okay, it's a bit ambitious, but what the heck, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have a chat with them all. So... I went out to dinner with them all. I was talking with everyone. Now, there's something like 800 people at this event. Mm. And after the three days, all the speakers says, you're the only guy that doesn't need a name badge because we all know who you are over <laughs> the three days. So I'd made myself such a nuisance. <laughs> Socialising with them, you know, Bob Landis, who's spent 20 years filming the wolves in Yellowstone. That's all his documentaries that you see in Geo Wild and stuff. Mm. And... I, I got a few of them down to dinner and I started organizing it and they agreed to come. Mm. So I started to organize the event. It was a two day event in Edinburgh. I had four four speakers from, from the US and I had speakers from Germany, from the Carpathians, from Poland, from France, from Germany and it, it was great. And uh, also myself, it's the first time that I got to speak about wolves. And we kept, I kept pulling this together, drumming up the different themes. We had an audience debate at the time where we could have a real live debate with wolf experts there. Mm. So that the, the old arguments w- would get answered. You know, you know uh, what you can expect by living with wolves around you, um, what farmers can expect, listening to their concerns as well. You know, I wanted to take away the conflict, explode the myths, and get some truth into it. And that's how Wolf Awareness Weekend UK was born and and tend to hold another in maybe a couple of years' time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Excellent. And and see where we go in here. But we we have people from the US over here now on uh, doing wolf projects in Scotland up north. Discussing the possibility and scouting the land, and but it, it was a very eye-opening weekend because a lot of the people that came, it's uh, I think they left feeling they had more clarity concerning mm. their knowledge of wolves, and it was to raise awareness of what wolves actually are. You know, it wasn't to get them back into the country as such, but it was like if it were to be so. Mm. 
let's get to the truth. What can you expect? What would happen if you saw one? What would happen if it saw you? What, what, what would happen if you were a farmer and you had them in your local hills? How would you know? Uh, 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 all of this stuff. So it was very enlightening. It was a step forward. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think that it will happen? Is it just a matter of time? Or is there you know, seri- enough serious opposition to re- re-wolfing Scotland? That you know, Is it in serious doubt? What do you think? Okay. Wherever wolves are in the world at this moment in time, and wherever wolves have been in the past, there has always been serious opposition. Mm. Always. Even if the opposition are in the minority, it's normally quite aggressive. So it's a big concern, yeah, for those people concerned. But I think eventually it will happen. That's my own opinion, yes. I think the current generation that are coming up are more... Times are going to change, you know, and thoughts are going to change and people are going to change. And a lot of the younger generation that I've spoken to are completely up to it, uh, up for it. Economies are going to change. Farming is going to change. A lot of things are going to change. But I think those changes will make way for the wolf eventually. But there's the key is preparation. And experimentation. Mm. You you don't just sort of set loose a lot of wolves. You know that they would have to be radio collared. They would have to be monitored. We we, we would have to know where they are to, to satisfy a lot of those fears. Lots of things would have to be put in place, much like they did with the Yellowstone project. Yeah, yeah. Although Scotland's a lot smaller than Yellowstone as such, uh, as someone once says, you you know you could blindfold. Uh, the wolves, they were still running to sheep in certain parts of Scotland uh, and that's true in certain parts. I I think sheep farming will change in the years to come. Mm. But will it happen? Yeah, yeah. I think it will happen. I I think it will happen in my lifetime, yes. Mm -hmm. And what what changes do you think that would make sort of reintroducing wolves like that to the environment what what changes do you think would happen and not, not i mean i don't mean sort of that we would have to farm differently i mean what what sort of changes you know to the natural side of things would uh, okay. what do you think would happen when you drive up through the north of scotland now now it varies from where you go but the, the a lot of people see a a very beautiful landscape, mm-hmm. some, sometimes quite a solemn landscape, a very foreboding landscape. Some of the landscapes are barren. When you look at the state of Yellowstone in 1995, just prior to the wolves going in there, it, it was very different from the Yellowstone that you see today. Now, there's an old saying, just as deer fear wolves, mountainsides fear deer. Those mountainsides that you see in Scotland are stripped bare. We have a serious deer population. And the deer population are absolutely ravaging the landscape. It's undeniable. There's nothing really gets a chance to flourish in the Scottish landscape, a lot of the natural stuff. And they've tried little bits of rewilding with beavers. Mm. 
and now they moan because some of the places are dammed up, which is what beavers do. Yes. They, they even have illegal beavers, what they've referred to. If you're going to rewild, you, you, you need an apex predator and you have to let them do their jobs. Mm. Now, the, the first things that would change, suppose you started an experiment and you released nine wolves or seven wolves. Mm. Wolves hunt very effectively, normally in a number of four. So, so a pack of seven wolves would, would probably do quite well. The first thing that those wolves would do would be to scout their land to, to see what's in it for them. Now, contrary to what people think, although wolves are opportunists, just like dogs, they prefer wild cat uh, game. So th they will prefer the deer to, to, to uh, livestock. Mm. Once wolves are on the move, the deer will certainly become deer again. So so there will be no mass grazing, which deer do. They will strip a landscape bare and then move on to the next one. Mm. Once there's wolves on the move, those deer will move. <laughs> and, 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 and they will move well. And we would need to take down a lot of the deer fences that we have there, which allow the deer freedom to move. It's so that the wolves can do their job there. But you would get a lot of plant growth, natural growth, which would boost. It, it boosts everything all around. You know, it's a, it's a cycle. It would boost the eagles. It would boost the ospreys. They would actually keep the deer hairs healthy. Mm. Because the stag shoots and everything that they have, they still have a deer problem. You know, it doesn't keep the numbers down. Mm. But, but the wolves will... Uh, as they establish their territory, they will pick out the weak and they will weed them out and keep the deer on the move. So even after a space of between two to three years, you you would see big improvements in the landscape. Yeah, it's uh, it's really, really interesting. But I know it's a, it's a, a difficult and complicated business to sort of balance, you know, you predators and prey and the, and the environment and um, it does seem that you're right that you know the you want us you know the right balance going back to how it, how it was how it grew when you would have had wolves roaming up there and getting that balance right and, and better than it is now wouldn't you yeah, yeah yeah because if there's one thing we've done very well is demonstrated that we how much we failed to do the job of a top predator and we can't do the job that wolves do, not very well. And that's why we do have a deer problem. The, the, the wolves will not multiply and multiply and multiply so that we're overrun by them. Mm. And that's one of the fears that, that people have. Wolves self-regulate according to the territory they have. Mm. So, so, so you won't all of a sudden have multiple packs running around everywhere overcrowding and fighting for land and stuff like that you know that it's it's not so much how people it, these thoughts stem from fear and fear is the main thing it, it, when you strip down all the questions most of it comes back to our fear of the wolf mm. the, the red riding hood syndrome you yes know? yes because I mean, we we were talking before the the interview started, and you were saying sort of how the 
how the wolf has been sort of vilified, hasn't it? We've treated it um, badly. I think it's the nature of human beings that what we fear, we we turn into legend. Mm. We we make them into big monsters, so it justifies uh, what we do with them. Mm. We fear the wolves, so we create these legends about them. There's always most of the wolf stories that you'll hear about in ancient Scotland are they are black, they are big. They are snarling, the babies, we, we make films like The Grey. All of these things are really far removed from uh, wolf behavior. You know, the, the wolves would stalk you through the mountains and tear us to pieces and come and invade our villages and, and attack us all, you know. The, 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 this is the produce of our fears. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we've created, the, the, this image in our minds. We've fed this and we constantly feed this through movies, through books, through stories that we tell our kids. We we build up these stories so that the the, the big bad wolf is re, re, really nothing more th th than an animal with a very strong flight. Let's get out of there away from human type behavior, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There has been some conflicts in human history, but if you look, I think there's been something like, I can't quote this exactly, but over the last maybe 150 years, something like 40, 50 deaths mm -hmm. globally. Yeah. And you look at the amount of people that are killed by dogs. Yes, yeah. It, it, it's massive and a lot of those wolves have been rabid as well you know they can get rabies mm. um, but, but some are opportunists and some have been it's it, it just depends where it is you know yeah yeah it, it does seem to me because um, I, I get taken to a lot of aquariums my daughter's very into aquariums and, and loves sharks and it does seem to me that we've vilified wolves to some extent as we have sharks and you know and, and sharks are treated appallingly and they, the, the fins are chopped off and they're left in the water to die because we we i mean when i say we i mean some some humans like right. um, shark fin you know the, the soup and then all of a sudden and you say we build them up as these big bad predators and then all of a sudden we think oh gosh do you know what we've killed so many of them now we've we've taken the balance out of the world and we we better start actually educating people again and you know we, we we were being told the other day you're more likely to be killed by a vending machine than a shark because a vending machine you know falls on people and things like that and we have to now readdress this balance that we've put out of kilter in our fear and and building up of these animals to be you know to make ourselves feel big that we're, we're beating this animal in some way isn't it Absolutely. And and our fears come back to bite us, you, you know. The most parts of America, the wolf was completely eradicated. Mm. Now, it's been completely eradicated in Britain. Mm. The, the, the only reason they're not here nowadays is because we don't have a land bridge. But they, they have multiplied in Europe. Mm. The wolf population uh, all over. The, the, the Chernobyl area where human beings can't go for the next 70 years or something, mm. that has something like 17 radioactive wolf packs. Wow. Who are, they're thriving. They're preying on other animals. Germany have a population of somewhere now 450 wolves. Mm. 
the 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 French you you will find wolves in France. There there's lots of debates about the wolves killing their sheep in the mountains, but there's a lot of cover in the mountains, so so the wolves are multiplying there in Scandinavia. The the wolves are multiplying. They're they're spreading all over Europe. The 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 damage that wolves are doing is actually quite minimal, but the panic is spreading amongst yes. people. So 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 the fear explodes, and then we go and create movies, and we love to go into the cinema and watch the movies, and we come home and we think about that. You know, it almost justifies supporting the wolf hunts and stuff like that. Mm, yeah, it's so sad that even even sort of in the, in the the twentieth century when we were trying to understand them again, understand wolves and study them, and we got it so wrong, didn't we? And that is is taking. A long time. That's impacted our our understanding of our dogs, you know, and and the the dominance and, and all this kind of thing. And it's it's still damaging for some people. Damaging what they do with their dogs and what they're told to do with their dogs by some trainers, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, it's still very much part of my job as a trainer. And um, sometimes when I go out there, some people are still using things that resemble rank reduction programs, you know, where the dog has its place. And I think some of the psyche behind it, some of the psychological th thinking behind it is that some people want to see their dogs as having an element of wolf in them yeah. because they can control the dog. They know if it was a, it feels good to control something that they maybe think is part wild. Uh, you know that that's just a small part of it, but it's uh, it's so far removed. I think the more we're learning about wolves now, and I think with the younger generation coming up, that a lot of these old things will start to dissipate and go away. Yeah, yeah, hopefully but, so. Yeah, but but I think as far as the dominance side and I mean wolves can dominate each other during play dogs can dominate each other during play but when we talk about dominance most people refer to the dog trying to be dominant over its owner the human yes yeah and that's translated as wanting to be top dog so we need to show the dog that we are the leader of the pack and we run the pack as the alpha and we flip it and we pin it and we do that, you know. You will see very, very little alpha roles in yeah. real life. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, what people were doing when they studied wolves and they translated this onto the canine behavior, onto domestic dog behavior, they were mostly studying captive socialized wolves. Yes. So they're studying animals that, that are probably under a great deal of stress. Mm. But if, if you study wolves out in the wild, if, if you study footage of the wolves in Ellesmere Island with Dave Meach uh, did a documentary there in the 70s, it's still well worth the watch. And Mr. Buchanan, our own Mr. Buchanan, recently went out and replicated that you won't see any of that. You won't see any of the conflict within the pack. You won't see them killing each other or trying to be top dog. It's a very tranquil existence. Mm, yeah. Uh, it, 
it's a very loving existence as well, and that's not something that we give wolves. No, we, no. we think of them as cold-hearted, and they they mourn for each other. It, you know, it, it affects them when they lose a member of the pack, N not because it may affect the survival of the pack, but um, when people go out hunting wolves, if they shoot the alpha male or the, the, the alpha female, they they might as well kill the whole pack because the rest of them, the, the survival wise, they've really got their work cut out, you know. Mm. But uh, Ernest Seaton, who was hired to 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 find this wolf in the Midwest back in the eighteen eighties, uh, he was a wolf hunter, and he was in search of this wolf called Lobo. When he have he captured Lobo's mate hmm. and he laid some trap lines and he dragged her body Aww. over the trap lines and that lured Lobo in because he wanted to take her away and bury her and, that, and take her away and sort of dispose of her his own way hmm. and Satan shot Lobo then but it changed him for life hmm. and he's written about that in depth, but he he always saw wolves in a different light after that, and they are very loving. They they do mourn. They do suffer loss. That they they are they are wild animals, but but they are they're sentient beings. You know that they they, they 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 are they have a consciousness that that cares for each other. They 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 we don't seem to give that to animals. And it's the same with bears. It's the same with coyotes. It's um, They deserve more credit than we give them for. They're, they're not just wild animals. They're animals who live in the wild. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a difference. It's just so sad that what they are is so far from what we think they are, isn't it? It's, it's just yeah. a tragedy. Yeah. It, it's... But it's an experience that stays with you forever. Mm. So it, if you do ever get a chance to spend some time, even with a captive socialized wolf, it, it's well worth it. But yeah. even yeah. being in a wild area and know that they're out there, mm. yeah, it's worth it as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we go picnics. We walk around in Scotland in its forest. We go camping and stuff like that. There's... If the, we have the wild cat, which is starting to decline in numbers. Mm. There have been reported sightings of lynx out there. They're talking about reintroducing the lynx, and that may cause people some concerns. But we relatively walk free of fear. Mm. But some fears are healthy. And I don't think her fears should have an effect on the land in as much that the land is perishing because of it. Mm, mm. I think we, we need to learn to coexist. Yeah. And yeah. I think it can be done in a manageable way. And it's not that we would be overrun with wolves, but I think the land actually needs wolves. Mm. And I think the land is suffering because it doesn't have them present. I think the mountains are crying out for wolves. I think the streams and the rivers are crying out for wolves. I think the eagles are crying out for wolves. Those needs are bigger than our fears.
Yeah. And and that's really important because it's not too late. But if we don't rewolf in some areas, we're trying to play it safe with introduction of the links. Why play it safe? Why not just put them in there? Let's monitor them, radio color them, have biologists out in the field, keep a track and study them. If it goes horribly wrong, would some wolves have to suffer um, for the sake of that? It's possible, yes. But I would rather they were here than not here, you know. Mm. But there's so much to be gained by going forward from arguments and taking action to get answers to our questions. And if we get it wrong, then if the, the people opposed can say, I told you so. But allow them to say that. Yes. Yeah. I love it to take place. I, th- I think we get a very pleasant surprise. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> it's it's been fascinating. I, I know there's this is a vast vast subject, and I know you you um, sort of love discussing it. But we're running out of time. Is, is there anything else? I mean, and I know there's a lot of other things that you you want to sort of say about wolves that we haven't covered. But if you if you could sort of do that briefly, what what else would you like to say about wolves? I think that the I would like to see education in schools Mm. about animals that are in an environment and animals that used to be in our environment. I think we should learn about dogs that share share our homes. Mm -hmm. I think we should Mm -hmm. learn about cats that share our homes. I think the main thing is getting the proper knowledge through to the up-and-coming generation. Yeah, yeah. And I think they will be receptive once we start exploding the myths. So as far as wolves are concerned, I would like to see that education kept up. I'm actually doing a wolf talk at my local school after the summer holidays. And I'm looking forward to that. It's still something that holds a lot of interest. Yeah. yeah. I think wolves deserve the chance. I, I would hate to see this modern current generation as the ones who were scared to make the move. Because the next generation's going to. Yeah. Or the one after that. And there's really nothing to fear but fear itself. It's, we, 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 we need to be proactive. I would like to see wolves, whether it's on a small scale, allowed to show us what wolves are really like. Yeah. yeah. So that we can go, oh, it's not what we thought it might have been. <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah. there's no one being savaged. There's there's no towns or villages being terrorized. There there there's no obviously you have to be more vigilant when you're in a land occupied by predators and that's the same whether it's lynx, wolves, bears, whatever. You have to be vigilant. Not just in terms of safety, but in terms of being careful with fire and food and leaving it around and stuff like that. But I I think it keeps us healthy. Mm. And it certainly keeps the landscape healthy. But I would like to see, forget wolves and dogs. I think there's more damage being done with linking the two together. Mm. Treat them as distant cousins rather than really close relatives. Yeah, yeah. Because the wolf's an entirely different animal. It's motivated by entirely different things. It lives in an entirely different environment. Our, our, our dogs may share some sort of genetic lineage with the wolves, but they do not really. They, they, they share some common canine traits, 
but they're not motivated like a wolf. They wouldn't be able to exist like a wolf. No. They don't have those attributes. I think Ray Coppinger was right when he says there's, personally, he thought that there's not a ghost of a chance that dogs were directly descended from wolves and that we took them in and bred from wolves. A wolf is a wolf is a wolf, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I would just like to see our awareness raised and see see through the the myth into the truth yes. for, for, for what the wolf really is. There is not the big bad wolf. Let's hope that there is hope for wolves and that we can be brave enough to let them simply be wolves. You can find out more about Maxwell Muir at his Action for Dogs website. And I, for one, will certainly be keeping an eye out for updates on another wolf awareness event. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Do you ever read a book and think, no, it shouldn't happen like that? Well, check out the latest innovation in romantic fiction, Macy's Choice, which puts you in charge of the plot as you make life-changing decisions on the main character's behalf. At the end of each chapter in Macy's Choice, there are always two options, and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters, and 128 different endings, Macy's Choice is an e-book you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. To find out more, visit macyschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. Earliest drawings of wolves are in caves in southern Europe and date from 20,000 BC. And now the Dogcast Radio News. Becoming well-known can be a blessing and a curse for a dog breed, and the latest dogs to fall victim to popularity are huskies. Charities think this is due to the TV series Game of Thrones, which actually features northern Inuit dogs, which bear a striking resemblance to huskies. UK charity The Blue Cross has highlighted the fact that people don't always appreciate the exercise requirements of the breed, which were bred to pull sleds across hundreds of miles of icy terrain can have a high prey drive and tend to howl. There has been a sharp increase in the number of huskies abandoned since the show took to air, and it's led to one of the show's stars joining in the campaign to raise awareness of the issue. Peter Dinklage, who plays Tyrion Lannister, has asked fans not to buy huskies, but instead to take on deserving homeless dogs. A great message. One dog who recently hit the headlines for the right reasons is guide dog Brogan from Australia, who accompanied his owner, James Bennett, on a flight for an amazing 300th time. 70-year-old James lost his sight overnight 10 years ago when a heart problem cut the blood supply to his optic nerves. James now works for guide dogs mentoring and advocating for blind people and received an Order of Australia medal for his services to the blind and low vision community earlier this year. Labrador Brogan helps James navigate the airport around 75 times a year, taking it all in his stride and sleeping calmly under James's chair during the flight. Ah, yes, but does he earn air miles? Another working dog now in Florida, USA. Sniffer dog Allie 
tracked down a dementia sufferer within minutes of her going missing, thanks to a specialist scent preservation kit. The lady in question stored her scent over two and a half years ago, using a system that involves wiping a pad on someone's underarm, then sealing the pad in a small sterile jar. If the need arises to find the person, a tracking dog is then given the pad to sniff, and apparently this is more reliable than using articles of clothing, which may be contaminated with other scents. Thankfully, in this case, the missing lady was home safe and sound very soon, and Ali got to celebrate with an ice cream. Now to a working dog who failed, but still found a successful career path. In Queensland, Australia, German Shepherd Gavel proved too sociable to be truly suited to life as a police dog. In a lucky twist for the dog, as a very young puppy, he had been fostered in the official residence of the Queensland governor, and when it became clear that a life as a police dog did not beckon, he was given a trial ceremonial role, back where he started at the governor's house. His friendly nature made him a big hit, and he has been hugely successful welcoming guests and tour groups to the grounds of the Queensland's government home. Just shows, if at first you don't succeed, keep trying. With dogged determination. Just read the news. Okay. Well, North Korea has been in the news a lot lately, but we have a happier story from South Korea, where the president, Moon Jae-in, fulfilled one of his campaign promises, which was to adopt a dog from a shelter. A four-year-old black mongrel called Tori was the lucky dog in question. And this is the first time that a shelter dog has become a so-called first dog. Tori was adopted from the animal rights group Coexistence of Animal Rights on Earth, CARE, who campaign against dog meat in Asia. And the president's choice of the group is seen as a strong message against the vile trade. The adoption sends out another message too as poor Tory had languished in rescue for more than two years without being adopted due to his colour. President Jain says the adoption shows that both humans and animals should be free from prejudice and discrimination. Absolutely. And we end with another black dog who got into trouble, not because of her colour, but because she ate her owner's three-tier £120, that's around US dollars wedding cake on the morning of the wedding. Donna McMahon, sister of the groom and a bridesmaid, who had volunteered to look after the cake for the night, woke up to find Labrador Bella sitting beside the ruined cake. She blamed her husband Liam for not properly closing Bella's crate, and on the only other occasion Liam had not closed the crate properly, Bella ate 20 freshly baked cupcakes, so she did have previous offences. Rather than confess what had happened, they put the word out via social media that they urgently needed another cake, and amazingly, another cake was wicked up and at the reception on time, but it did cost Liam £150. Ironically, the happy couple was so busy at the reception that they forgot to cut the cake, so the only one who got to eat wedding cake on the day was Bella, although we here at Dogcast Radio don't recommend a diet of cake for your dog. Well, I do recommend a diet of cake for me, and since that's the end of the Dogcast Radio news for this time, I'm off to eat cake. Coming, Jenny? Yep. Bye. Research shows that small dogs have more dreams, but they're short dreams, and larger dogs have fewer but longer dreams. It was very sad to hear of the death of Pudsey, the gorgeous and clever dog who won Britain's Got Talent, dancing with his owner, Ashley Butler. At the relatively young age of 11, Pudsey was struck down by leukaemia, and his death 
was a huge shock to Ashley, their family, and of course, all their many fans. I do hope that the many memories Ashley has of their shared achievements are a comfort to her, and I wish her luck as she continues to delight crowds and perform with her other dog, Sullivan. Run free, Pudsey, or perhaps dance free is more appropriate. I was lucky enough to interview Ashley and see her and Pudsey perform live, and you can hear that interview in episode 149 of Dogcast Radio. That's all we have time for, and so now, until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Why did the dog eat fruit? He was a little melancholy.